Mm-mm-mm. What an exciting weekend as the 2022 NCAA tournament is now narrowed down to 16 teams, and we are here to talk all about it on the nation's college basketball show and podcast. It is college basketball coast to coast. I am the somewhat capable, somewhat rested host of the program that uh, that is just trying to make heads or tails out of what we have and the blur that we've seen. Coach K and his Duke Blue Devils still alive. Three of the number one seeds, Arizona, along with Kansas and Gonzaga still alive, and we're still alive here on the program. I'm TJ Reeves coming up straight ahead. We're going to talk with one of the guys that provides some insight on the bracket. Chris Dobertine will be here. I want to talk with him specifically about the performances of programs like Memphis or Houston or uh, Michigan and, and whether or not those teams were underseeded or not and get his take on that. Plus Duke and their thrilling win over Michigan State to keep their season. Coach K's final year alive, the all-time winningest college basketball coach to uh, coach. Uh, almost at the name of the show, college basketball's winningest coach who just won his 99th NCAA tournament game, by the way, with the uh, Michigan State win uh, in Greenville, South Carolina on Sunday evening. We'll talk to Chris about all of those things later on. Some West Coast flavor and flair. Again, that's why it's college basketball coast to coast. Matt Zimmick is back aboard with me. I love Matt's insight as he covers the Pac-12 and specifically the USC Trojans for the USA Today website, trojanswire.com. Matt will have insight on the Arizona a dramatic overtime win that just happened late Sunday night in San Diego as they beat TCU in OT, a game they could have very easily lost but found a way to win it. Matt will have insight on that. We'll talk to him about UCLA and the job that they did to get into the Sweet 16 again by beating St. Mary's. He'll have some great historical perspective on some other games too. So Matt Zimmick on in a little bit. Again, a reminder, however you found us, wherever you found us, social media link, uh, whatever the case is, we're streaming on TuneIn on the College Basketball Coast to Coast channel, top and bottom of every hour. Just search for College Basketball Coast to Coast on TuneIn or look under sports, under college basketball. It's right there. A lot of audience finding us right there on TuneIn. Also find us in podcast form, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts. College Basketball Coast to Coast is where we are. Search for us, follow, subscribe. It comes automatically to you. As we're going to set the table for the Sweet 16, we'll have preview shows and recap shows coming this weekend for the different sites from San Francisco to Philadelphia, from Chicago to San Antonio. We'll narrow down to a Final Four in New Orleans this weekend. We're all about it on College Basketball Coast to Coast. Let's get things underway and start the conversation about Sunday and setting the Sweet 16. Here we go. Yes, indeed. I promise if I am checking on brackets, how is my bracket feeling? How's everybody else's brackets feeling? The bloggingthebracket.com master is back aboard on college basketball coast to coast. Mr. Chris Dobertune, who mans that site for the SB Nation family of sites. Uh, he's always blogging the bracket every college basketball season. Let's find out how his bracket is feeling. And again, I want to talk about overseeding, underseeding. I mean, usually that has to do with golf courses or your garden or something, but we've got to talk about this a little bit with Chris. Good to be back with you. How is your bracket feeling, by the way, as, as we close out the opening weekend? It's it's going better than it looked on Thursday and Friday, but it's still <laughs> eh. I don't I think you. Uh, I don't think gone, you or so. anybody else had St. Peter's in the uh, in the Sweet Sixteen, much less later. But it's it's been quite the story. You can't plan for these things, Chris. That's the point. That's no. why we love all no, this, that, right? Exactly. Exactly. That's the joy. Uh, so of the, that's the joy of the month. 
let's pick up on that point. So, for example, I'm a proud alum. Memphis played very well and beat Boise State and played very well and hung in toe-to-toe with Gonzaga. And if I heard once, I heard 10 times uh, in and around the weekend now and off that Gonzaga game. Memphis Memphis was better than a nine seed. Memphis deserved to be better than a nine seed. Uh, likewise, Houston put it on Illinois Sunday afternoon as a five seed. They're back in the Sweet 16 for the third tournament uh, in a row. Uh, Michigan, we saw as an 11, beats Colorado State and then beats number three, Tennessee. So people are saying, well, the Wolverines shouldn't have been an 11 seed. Chris, give me your thoughts. Those are three specific examples, but give me your thoughts here on your body of work is different than what you do once the tournament begins, right? Yes, exactly. And that's something that the committee has even now, even with all the changes with net and with all this emphasis and quality wins and all that, they really have not seemed to kind of, you know, wrap the whole thing into a decent enough package because, yeah, Memphis was better than a nine seed, but you look at what their profile was and what the committee says they're going to look at, and sorry, they're a nine seed based on those, you know, rules. Same thing with Michigan. You know, they play better than an 11 seed, but based on what they did during the season, you know, it's, you know, same thing. Houston was a, an interesting perspective. That was a team that we really kind of talked about over the entirety of the final month because they came in, you know, a top five team in the net pretty consistently. You know, they're number two in Ken Palm right now. They've been a top five Ken Palm team. The metrics love them, but they didn't beat a team that fell under that quad one category until very late in the season, which with the committee putting such an emphasis on quality wins meant that they were going to be put in a bad situation. Um, in terms of their seating, which they have, you know, the good thing for them is, is they had to deal with a Big Ten team today, and the Big Ten has an entirely other set of problems that needs to be resolved as we talk about kind of the future of college basketball, because the way that they do things during the season, I think is really kind of holding them back when they get to March. Give me an example of that, Chris Dobertine, as we saw one Big Ten team after another drop from Illinois to Ohio State to Michigan State on Sunday. What what are they not doing right with their conference play that you think should be better or should help them? Uh, the big problem is, is the officiating. The officiating of the way those games are played. It's like a completely different sport, you know, going from January, from December to March in the Big Ten, and then jumping in you know, to the national picture, to having to play all these other teams that play very differently. The games are officiated differently, even in many cases by the same people, by the same officials. Mm -hmm. So you have this situation where these Big Ten teams are used to, you know, just basically playing rugby out there, and they have to go into a situation in March where they need to actually, you know, have offense and actually defend without fouling and do things like that, and they can't do it. Mm. And they can't do it. And you look at what happened to Michigan State in their game. You know, they actually had a plan, it looked like, for a good chunk of that game against Duke. And they get to the final minute and a half, and they completely forget about it. And, uh, and Duke, again, to their credit, they were getting some calls, yes, and the grand conspiracies were out there. Let's just pick up on that with Chris Dobertine of bloggingthebracket.com hanging with me here for a few more moments. That when Duke got the three calls, Chris, on the same possession, yes. with like five minutes left, everybody's going, oh, here we go. But look, in fairness, they had a couple of calls go against them after that that were the right call, an illegal screen in a close game, and then Banchero yep. had a handful of Hauser's jersey, the Michigan State big man. They called that. Then Duke made shots 
You know this, Chris. And for the audience, yes. they made shots and they made free throws. And that's got nothing to do with the officials. That's my thought. What was your thought on the closeout where, again, Coach K's on the high wire act here, final game for Duke. Maybe they could have gone out Sunday, but they won it. Tell me more about it, please. Yeah, you know, I, I just think back to those last few minutes that Michigan State played where they, you know, they had been doing a better job kind of speeding the game up because their half court was terrible. You know, they were shooting threes and making threes, and then they get to the final minute and a half, and it's just complete disorganized chaos on offense. It's like, do you, did Coach Uzo ever teach you the concept of score and the concept of time? Because mm -hmm. both of those things are completely missing here, and that just let Duke off the hook completely. You know, now they head to San Francisco to play Texas Tech, who I promise you will not be quite as easy of an out as the Spartans were in that last, you know, minute and a half or so. Give credit to Texas Tech, too, because uh, that game could have gone either way with Notre Dame. And here we go back to the seeding thing again, where people are looking at Notre Dame going, well, they shouldn't have been in the first four because they come out of the, of the first four and beat a six-seed Alabama who had been waiting on them. And, I, and my hand is up, Chris. I thought Alabama would take care of them because of the, the Notre Dame travel, the fact that, that Alabama had been waiting on them in San Diego. I was wrong on Friday. And Notre Dame went toe-to-toe with Texas Tech down to the wire as the three seed with Notre Dame as the 11 seed. But again, that doesn't have to do with Notre Dame's regular season and whether or not that regular season warranted them to be in Dayton for the first four or be safely in. That's that's the point here. Your regular season resume, that that's different than the play that we see once they throw the ball up in the tournament. Yes. And well, one point on Notre Dame and Alabama, you know, I think once Quinterly went down in that game, I think that pretty much changed it. I thought at that point I had picked Notre Dame to beat Bama just because Bama had been, you know, so gloriously inconsistent all year. Um, but I thought that, yeah, you know, I think that Notre Dame having that extra game, even with the travel and the ridiculousness of the whole, you know, having three teams having to go from Dayton to the West Coast, you know, for their second games was ridiculous. I thought that they were a team that, you know, was playing well enough and, and was dealing with an opponent where they could actually get that win. So, but again, we talk about the seeding, and you have to consider the fact that you look at the top four seeds in the NIT and who those teams were, and you think about teams that were behind them in the NIT, you are always going to have a situation where you're going to have an 11 seed or a 12 seed in that play-in game, and they're going to be a perfectly capable team because you think about how those 11 and 12 seeds that don't play in that play-in game typically do. They usually, you know, are able to give those fives and five and six seeds a good, a good fight. And this year, with the bubble being a little bit deep, deeper than normal, you had a few more teams. You know, I think if you would have put Texas A&M or Dayton or Oklahoma in those spots, they would have probably have done something very similar to what Notre Dame did. The quality of play this year was so good you know, and then you combine that with the fact that we had a lot of lot more parity than you had last season, for example, you're going to have that kind of situation. 
All good points. That's why this man, this man does this all through the college basketball season from November through March. He blogs the bracket, bloggingthebracket.com. Chris Daubertine with me for just another second here on College Basketball Coast to Coast coming off the weekend as we head now to the Sweet 16 Thursday and Friday. You wanted to say something about Iowa State. Tremendous performance in Milwaukee. Practical home away from home game for Wisconsin. Here we go again. Another Big Ten team takes the gas pipe on Sunday uh, in, in the second round. But that what a turnaround by Iowa State. We cannot play that up enough. We can't sell that enough. Well, I mean, for starters, they won more as many games this weekend as they won it all of last season. <laughs> and then, you know, you have a new coach in TJ Otzelberger. And the other thing you gotta remember as they head into the regional where they're gonna play, you know, either Miami or Auburn. Um, since that game is still going on as I'm speaking right, right now. Right. Um, they have they they are still undefeated outside of the Big Twelve. They have not dropped a non-conference game this year. That's amazing, including winning yes. the preseason NIT, beating my Memphis Tigers in the championship game, and now they step into the NCAA tournament and get the two wins over LSU and over Wisconsin. And let's hear it for the Big Twelve. I mean, Kansas survived. Texas Tech made it through uh, in the Big 12. Again, at the time that I'm talking to Chris, we don't know about the TCU-Arizona result, but that could maybe be another team uh, out of the Big 12 as well. Big 12 showed up large uh, here to make it to the second weekend of this tournament, and that is is incredible. Of course, we should have known when the coach's name is TJ that he was going to be in good shape uh, for (laughs) Iowa State. That's an incredible turnaround. Two wins a year ago and now in the Sweet 16. you got to love that. you got to love March. And, uh, and all about it. All right, so his bracket's feeling all right. Chris, plug away. I love uh, – you're a funny follow on social media, and I love the site and all the work you do and the insights you give us. Plug away again here real quick. Yeah, at this point, it's mostly Twitter. Right. <laughs> so at Chris, at Chris Dobertine right now, not quite as much writing going on um, at the moment. Uh, since the blogging the bracket part is over, we're enjoying the actual bracket part, so – at Chris Dobertine on Twitter uh, for, for, yeah, for, for basketball. All the, and for all stuff. the giggles and the grins. And by the way, I did not specifically ask this. How many Final Four teams still alive right now as we speak, two, as we head to it? Two. Ooh, two, two. for you. I still have four yeah. left. There are a great many people that know a lot about this game that have like one left coming off the way. Yes. Welcome to the beauty of the tournament and how crazy this is. My friend, you're always money on the insight. Uh, here with this stuff. Chris, I appreciate it as always. Thank you. Have a great week. We can't wait for all this to resume later this week. Absolutely. Thank you, TJ. As we do continue along, my goodness, we now know the Sweet 16 upcoming for the 2022 NCAA tournament as the Arizona Wildcats became the third number one seed to advance, but also, uh, once again, a number one seed that struggled to put their game away. They needed overtime to do it. We're here to talk about that team, that game, and a lot more that went on on Sunday uh, with Matt Zimmick. Love Matt's insight. Been a national college basketball writer, college sports writer uh, for going on 20 years. Also writes for the Trojan Wire uh, website. Uh, from USA Today, so he covers the Pac-12. I use him as the unofficial West Coast Bureau Chief here on College Basketball Coast to Coast for all things like Rocky Mountains West. I love going to Matt Zimmick. 
All right, let's. I, I love dessert first all the time. Let's go right in on the final game, recency bias that we just saw before I hit the record button here on college basketball coast to coast. What a finish with Arizona just surviving an overtime win over TCU. Matt, welcome. What are your thoughts? Well, it would have been a crusher for Arizona to lose this game. So it's a huge sigh of relief for Tommy Lloyd and, and this team. Let's remind ourselves that Arizona – Proud program, I, I would say blue blood program, given what Lute Olson did for over a quarter of a century. Arizona hasn't been to the Final Four in 21 years. So that's a long drought that people in Tucson and down in this state, you know, I'm in Phoenix, uh, people in this state are ready for that drought to end. And boy, it came really close to continuing for another year. So just, you know, razor's edge, got out alive, and, uh, you know, it took a few lapses by TCU. And of course, TCU fought so well. TCU was down 67-58, about six and a half minutes left. You think the frogs are absolutely cooked. Then they uncork a 10-0 run and then they're in position to win. They're up three and uh, Mike Miles just loses containment of Benedict Matherin. It was a pick and roll, but you can't worry about the screener, right? If, if Christian Coloco is going to take a three, you live with that, but you can't let Matherin take the three to tie the game. And you, you, you can't worry about switching the coverage there. You have to be on Matherin. I mean, he, he made silky smooth plays, splashes the tying three, then he fights like a big man in the paint. He did everything for Arizona. Yeah, he was tremendous. Uh, let's back up one sec here. Give me a quick answer on this. The controversy at the end of regulation. I know Jamie Dixon went berserk. Uh, that there was a no call on his guy getting bumped at midcourt. It set off a wild sequence where Arizona had a chance to win the game with a driving layup, and, and the player elects to take a dunk instead of looking right at the clock and, and the clock going 3-2-1 and shooting the ball before uh, it ended. Could have won it in regulation. What, what about that helter-skelter play? Quick thought from you. Yeah, did not look like a foul. Looked like uh, the defender was in position uh, when TCU lost the ball near midcourt. Uh, you know, he tried to sell contact, but it wasn't there. There was a foul in Arizona a few minutes earlier, but uh, that particular sequence was not a foul. Thought the officiating was correct. And I know that Dalen Terry, when he uh, tried to win the game, you know, he just hoped that he could race to the rim quickly enough, but he didn't win the race in time. That's what that was all about. So, so TJ. College, you know, college basketball history. Now that we're in the Sweet 16, we see the reseeded, not the reseeded, but like the reshuffled deck. We see the mm -hmm. matchups. So from an Arizona historical perspective, you go back to 1997 when they won the national title. All right. What things happened? First off, was down, Arizona was down 10 to Charleston in the round of 32 in deep trouble. Just as Arizona was in deep trouble in this game against TCU. Got out of that. And then, you know, played great basketball to win the national championship. That's one historical parallel, 25 years apart. Here are two others. Which two teams did Arizona beat to get to the Final Four in 1997? They're both on the other, uh, they're both, you know, in this tournament, Kansas and Providence. That could be a national semifinal. So Arizona could go through Kansas and Providence if it can get uh, to the Final Four here. So, you know, wow. The historical parallels are amazing. It would, it would be something if Arizona plays Kansas and then could play uh, North Carolina in the title game. Arizona, of course, beat North Carolina 
in the 1997 Final Four semifinals. That would be amazing. And uh, it, it it's spooky sometimes, the symmetry. And I love this man for his history. And, of course, that Arizona team became the first team since the field expanded to 64 teams at that time, now 68, to beat three number one seeds in the same tournament. All right, so let's backpedal. Uh, Miami, an impressive win Sunday night over uh, Auburn. They advanced to the Sweet 16. It's the fourth time ever that we're going to get a 10 against an 11 with an Iowa State victory over Wisconsin. What a great performance by them in Milwaukee. So we had that on a Sunday night. Also on Sunday night, Purdue beat Texas. We haven't really talked about that on college basketball coast to coast yet. All right, uh, any other thoughts here? I know the Michigan State Duke game's enormous, but what else from Sunday here stands out? Yeah, well, I think the main thing is Purdue has the red carpet to that first Final Four since our friend Mark Wise <laughs> was assist assisting Lee Rose. You got for it. The Boilermakers at Market Square Arena in Indianapolis in 1980. You know that Mark Wise is is thinking about it. I mean, it is all there for Purdue. You play a 15 seed in the Sweet 16. You're the highest seed left in the region. Jaime Hawkes of UCLA is injured. It is all there for Purdue to finally break that sure. Final Four drought. Matt Painter finally getting there. So that's that is a huge story. You know, Purdue such a proud program. Gene Cady, all those years, all those chances, not being able to cross the threshold. That that's really a, a huge story that we need to talk about. I mean, you know, the, the Duke story is pretty obvious. I think that, you know, Texas Tech's going to be a nightmare matchup and Duke's going to have to probably beat Texas Tech and Gonzaga. Good luck with that. Uh, mm -hmm. Given, you know, given the way those two teams uh, compete. Uh, so, you know, Purdue, Purdue's a big story. And then the other part of this, uh, you know, Houston, uh, yes. that is a tough matchup with Arizona. And you watch the end of that Arizona TCU game. Arizona was getting destroyed on the boards. What does Houston do better than anything else? Rebounding, just crashing the glass, sending five guys. So that is not going to be an easy matchup for Arizona. And uh, in, in terms of the Iowa State Miami game, there's a lot of history there. Miami has never been to the Elite Eight, uh, gotten to the Sweet 16 a few times, but never crossed the threshold. You know, Leonard Hamilton got Miami to the Sweet 16 in 2000 against Tulsa and Bill Self. And then, of course, Jim Laranega got Miami to the Sweet 16 in 2013 and 2016. He lost to Buzz Williams and Marquette in 2013. He lost to Jay Wright and Villanova, the eventual national champions. In 2016, you know, and Miami now gets an 11 seed uh, to make its first Elite Eight ever. And if Miami gets to the Elite Eight, let's just say it happens, Miami can definitely beat Kansas or Providence. Uh, let's let's say it's Miami, Kansas. Like Miami's guards can create an open court game in which you know they shoot the ball well, in which they you know just are are quicker than Kansas. I mean, Miami's guards are so quick that you know against pretty much any team. I mean, Auburn is a very fast athletic team. Like Auburn's not slow. Auburn's not plotting. And Miami made them, you know, look like they were stuck in, in mud. So nope. Miami could definitely go to the final four. I, I, mean, I wouldn't say it's likely, but like Miami, Kansas, that's not a blowout matchup. This is not one of Bill Self's most talented Kansas teams. Bill Self's a magician to get that team to be a number one seed. But Miami's not going to be severely outclassed in talent if it can create an elite eight matchup with the Jayhawks. 
Love the insight of Matt Zimmick. Follow him on social media at Matt Zimmick, Z-E-M-E-K. He's also part of the USA Today Trojans Wire website uh, covering the, the West Coast, the Pac-12, and all the hoops. He's hanging with me on college basketball coast-to-coast for just a few more moments. And, yeah, Ari Russell, our colleague, is – uh, going nuts uh, off the mic here uh, about what Miami was able to do this weekend. And now they're very much alive in that Midwest regional uh, that will play out uh, coming up in Chicago. We'll see how that one goes. All right. So uh, back, back to UCLA, give me 30 seconds. You cover them all year in the PAC 12 conference. Are we talking enough about them? Shouldn't we be, we be talking a little bit about them with the way that they beat St. Mary's? They're back in the Sweet 16, and they're favored to win against North Carolina, uh, who comes in as an eight seed. Well, two quick things about UCLA. First off, Jaime Hawkins. You know, how healthy is he? When they go up against North Carolina in the Blue Blood Sweet 16 matchup, Hawkins' health is the overwhelming story. I mean, he has to be on the floor and reasonably effective for UCLA to be likely win that game against North Carolina team, which a lot like your Memphis Tigers, TJ, is an eight, an eight or nine seed playing like a two or a three seed. You know, the seeds really don't matter at this point. The other thing about UCLA, if you look back at last year's NCAA tournament, first games have been rough. But then when UCLA gets past the first game of a weekend, the second game of a weekend has been far better. You look at how UCLA made the jump from the, uh, the Michigan State first four game to the BYU game, huge jump in quality. Uh, right. So when if you when UCLA gets past the first game, it, that is a really tough team to prepare for with the short turnaround. You know, if you can get several days to game plan for them, you can you can deal with them. But the short turnaround, UCLA is so tough. All right, love this man's uh, insight. Just another moment or two here with Matt Zimmick again. UCLA uh, slotted in the East Regional now in Philadelphia to play North Carolina. Uh, in that matchup. And again, they've got veteran players. Villanova, we haven't talked enough about about what they did to Ohio State on Sunday afternoon. Veteran players, not a bunch of one-and-dones, but guys that have been there a bunch, whether it's Justin Moore, Gillespie, whomever. Something to be said for that, and we'll see how it plays out. If I say to you in 30 seconds or so, give me one Sweet 16, maybe we haven't touched on it yet, give me a Sweet 16 game that you're just loaded up. You mentioned Duke, Texas Tech. You've mentioned North Carolina, UCLA recently. Another one, another one that intrigues you heading towards Thursday or Friday? Well, I mean, you know, the UCLA and Carolina depends on Hawkins. If he's fit, you know, if he's healthy, then, then that's the game I really want to see. But, you know, Iowa State, Miami, because of the history, you know, you always, I always like to see programs, you know, first elite eight, first final four, first this, first that. So Miami is playing for a first and also Iowa state, you know, the, the, the sweet 16 has been the ceiling uh, under Steve prom under Fred Hoiberg under Johnny Orr in the 1980s. <laughs> uh, it's been hard for Iowa state to get past the sweet 16. So really in terms in historical terms, that that's a very interesting game. It's an 11 against the 10, but not really Cinderella's like Iowa state, you know, was a tough big 12 team definitely earned its way in the NCAA tournament. You know, those are both at large teams. So uh, that that's, a, that's, a, that's a sneaky, interesting game. Yes. Michigan and Villanova are going to be the same thing. I mean, Michigan is an 11 seed played as impressively as anybody this weekend. And now they get Villanova and somebody goes to the elite eight. That's going to be a ton of fun. It's always a ton of fun whenever I get to talk to you, and I, I look forward to doing it. You're like an encyclopedia with this stuff. Uh, you match me with this. We go well together. 
I mean, for example, we didn't even mention that St. Peter's is the first New Jersey team to be in the Sweet 16 since Seton Hall. You probably know the year. When in 2000, 2001 for Seton Hall, Shaheen Holloway was a guard on that team. He's now the St. Peter's coach, and he's probably going to end up being the Seton Hall coach when St. Peter's is done. How wild is the symmetry on that, by the way, and, for their matchup and, with Purdue real quick? And number 15 seeds in the Sweet 16 in back-to-back years. That is the first time it has ever happened since the NCAA tournament went to the 64-team field uh, in 1985. It's a sign of the well, times. And for Oral Roberts last year, they couldn't get it done. For Dunk City, Florida Gulf Coast before that with Andy Enfield and his players, they couldn't get it done. We'll see what St. Peter's can or can't do with a Purdue team. It's got so much size and so much talent. We will find out on that. More to come with all these different games for later in the week. Thank you. It was a clinic again tonight, Matt Zimmick, on the uh, on the round of 32 and all these different games. Arizona survives. Gonzaga survives. UCLA is still alive. A lot of West Coast basketball, and we appreciate the insight. Thank you, sir. Thank you. It's been a vintage tournament. Let's hope it continues. Always love that man's insight, and it's now set, the Sweet 16. By the way, one more note, because there's been so much conversation in the middle of the night and now into Monday morning. Obviously, at the end of TCU in Arizona, that final play at the end of regulation where Mike Miles was knocked over, I, I thought it could have been a foul call, but it definitely should have been either a foul or an over and back and a dead ball backcourt violation. Officials completely blew that. There's a lot of talk about the officiating from the first game on Sunday with the hanging on the rim of the Illinois player that changed the momentum. Uh, Some of the calls of that Duke-Michigan State we were talking about, the the end of that game uh, that were going on, the non-foul calls in the the Auburn game in the first half were questionable. Officiating has got to be better. We know this. Uh, We are ready to go with the Sweet 16. Cannot wait to see what's going to happen with Arizona-Houston, Michigan-Villanova in the South, Gonzaga-Arkansas, Duke-Texas Tech, in the West Regional, North Carolina, UCLA, Blue Bloods in the East Regional, along with Purdue and St. Peter's, and it's Kansas Providence and an upstart Miami, Iowa State uh, in the Midwest Regional in Chicago. My thanks to Chris Dobertine helping me break it down off the weekend from bloggingthebracket.com. Matt Zemick with the USA Today Trojans Wire website talking Pac-12 and West Coast basketball. I'm merely TJ Reeves. Whether you found the show streaming, top and bottom of the hour on TuneIn, subscribe on podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. It's college basketball coast to coast. We're back later in the week to talk more about the Sweet 16 right here on TuneIn or on podcasts. It's the nation's college basketball show, college basketball coast to coast.